Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, intersex issues, being on the show transparent, dysfunctional relationships, scratching your head, going through your Saturn return, and more with my friend, Pigeon Pagonis. Stay tuned. Pigeon Pagonis is an intersex activist and artist from Chicago who visited Portland a few weeks ago and I had the pleasure of interviewing them for the podcast. You can find Pigeon at pigeonismy.name or on season three of Transparent. I want to say in this interview I say I don't care about bees, but it doesn't mean I eat honey. Okay, I hope you have a good week and enjoy the show. bed with Pigeon Pagonis. Hi, welcome to my room. Hi, thank you. It's a <laughs> lovely room. It's exactly how I imagined your room to be. Really? Can you describe what is around you? Well, we are flanked on two walls. Well, we're flanked on many walls by many round eyeballs. Oh, yeah. That I like a lot. Like animal eyeballs? Yeah, you got the blue eyes and the... The Siamese cats. You got this child over here from the 60s with beautiful round eyes and a poodle with big round eyes. And it's very, I don't know, it's just you. I don't know you that well, but it's what I imagined you from your books. Oh, I kind of, sometimes. <laughs> and you're drawing. In my drawing style, yeah. Sometimes I feel like it looks like a diorama. Like I feel like I live in a diorama. <laughs> like a pop up book. Like a pop up book. And then you have the round eyes of my producer, Ponyo. Yes. Who's oh, yes. Supervising. Yes. He's doing a good job supervising right now. Panya's doing sound design and management and kind of... He really is. Panya's sweating us right now. His ears are literally scanning for, like, the auditory response of the acoustics of this room right now. Panya's like, your peas are popping right now. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guys get a little further away from the mic? Get Thank the you. pop filter. Thank you. <laughs> um, Pigeon, I want to talk to you about... Well, first of all... I'm looking you in the eyes. We're not wearing them at the same time. Oh, yeah. But we have the same pair of pajamas. Yes, we do. That's how we connected. <laughs> so we have leopard, leopard pajamas that maybe we both wore because we both stayed at the same apartment in Los Angeles at different times. Yes. While being affiliated with Transparent. Yes. So you're going to be on season three. I am, and I heard you were on season two. <laughs> I was on season two. If you, It's like I'm a Sasquatch running through the background. Like, you just can't. Like, maybe, like, a trained scientist could find me. <laughs> tell, tell, I mean, what episode? <laughs> episode two of season two. I am... What minute? You're not going to believe it, but I'm a hipster. I'm, I was cast as a hipster lesbian. <laughs> and I am one of Sid's... My name is either hipster lesbian or Sid's friend. <laughs> Sid being Carrie Brownstein's character. Yes. Who is my friend in real life, and then I got paid to be her friend. On the show, that's meta. And then I um, and financial. I tried really hard, and uh, you, you're literally running. No, oh, I'm sitting in the background, but it's like a like a gauzy, like fuzzy thing. But Is you that have the house ex- party? Yeah, it's at her loft. Oh, when I'm was laying that on, shot? I'm laying on her bed in her in her loft. Was that like a set or was that real? A real loft. It but also some mind. some of my art is in her loft. Really? She has a really nice apartment. I'm like, what is Sid's job? Because her apartment Wait, is really nice. Her real loft or no, the loft on, on the, the show? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. On it's a sh- really nice loft in the show you're saying? Yeah, yeah, on the show was. her apartment is really it's nice. It's really cute. I'm like, who you can't afford that in LA. Yeah, well that's why I'm like, what, what is Sid's job? Exactly. Her job might be to like make these weird um like plant sculptures for people's offices or something. She has like a very On the strict, show? Yeah. She has a very strange job. They literally have that written into the script? Like, I think that somebody just said it to me. Like, 
Because Sid has this wall of plants. Wait, Sid is the person from Portlandia, right? Sid is the name of Carrie Brownstein's character on Transparent. But she's from Portlandia, too? Carrie's from Portlandia. Carrie is the character's name? Carrie's the human being. Sid is the the, the character. But Carrie's from Portlandia? Yeah. Oh, we're talking about the same person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The person that the person dates for a minute. Or no, that has a crush to friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then Allie. So I'm in this part where Allie... Um, comes to a lesbian party, a hipster lesbian party at Sid's loft. Yeah, like the big table. And then the lesbians all judge her. So my job was just to talk shit about her quietly on the bed <laughs> for like a long time while they shot it to be like, oh my God, I can't believe she's here. What's going on? Am I thinking about the right episode? I don't know. Was there family involved? Like did, did Allie's family come? That happened later. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh my God, I wish I was there for that. Though there were some other hipster lesbians that have that job. To be like Sid's official two friends that like go to all the family things. (laughs) I was like a side friend. Last question. Yeah. On the script, did it really (laughs) say you were a hipster lesbian? Like, was that your description on the script? Yeah, I was described somewhere as that in in writing. (laughs) I think that in my email it said, you are one of Sid's friends. And then somewhere else it was described. It was written down somewhere as hipster lesbian. Hipster lesbian. Okay, cool. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna work. I'm not gonna deny that too hard. I'm not gonna like work too hard to say no. But you have an actual speaking role. You actually do some good stuff on there. Yes. And I don't know if you're allowed to say what it is. Oh yeah, I think I am. Okay. <laughs> but you're gonna be on season three. Oh no, I'm definitely am. She told me I could take and, videos and all that. Oh great. Share. So you're in season three, and you are hanging out with Mora, and people can look for you. And that's it. What is your character's name? Baxter. Baxter. Yeah. Were you excited to be on the show? Um, yes. I was super excited. It was like one of, it was up there in the top three emails of my life when, (laughs) when I got the email that said to come out and film it because, you know, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a ham. Oh yeah. my god, I'm biting my sense. Are you? Are you ripping your skin off? Yes. <laughs> I'm a ham, but that's why I think I'm actually not that good of an actor because I'm oh, too much yeah. of a ham. Yeah. Because I want to like smile looking directly at the camera <laughs> and do like a tap dance in front of it and push the actual actors out of the way. <laughs> Instead, you had to be a Sasquatch that ran around. Instead, I, mean, I tried my best to keep it low key, and then Joe would be like. You, the way you're sitting, you look posed. And I was like, this is just how I sit. <laughs> just, like, my hands are folded like a doll. <laughs> like, very poised. Did she make you kind of walk around the set and, like, get comfortable in there? Yes. And all that? Yeah, yes. That was, well, my set, I don't know. Did you have to eat during your scene? No. Oh, my God. My scene? This is a big spoiler. We had donuts. And <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts were sitting on the table and we had to eat them every single scene and every cut, I mean, or take. Whatever. Did you have a spit bucket? No, I just ate them all because when I'm nervous, <laughs> I eat. And then, you know, everyone else was taking like gracious little bites, you know, and I'm just still like, I'm just chowing all these donuts and I still love donuts, but it took a while to get back to How many donuts, donuts did you eat? I think I ate over a box <gasps> over the course of the day. <laughs> Like they just kept bringing you more? Oh, yeah. Every time they went cut, they brought a fresh new because it had to look like they were new again. So we had to eat them. <laughs> no spit bucket. She even called it. She was like, okay, you guys, during this part of the scene, just think of it as like a donut ballet. Like have the beats in your head and then you're going to walk up to the donuts and you're going to grab one and then you just eat it. And then, then you go and you're next and you grab a donut. And it was like this silent, like in my head, I just heard like music and we were all going to this beat and it was weird while Mora the character was running around and having a crisis and so yeah you're lucky you didn't have to eat a lot of donuts but it was also really delicious I love donuts <laughs> donuts are actually I mean because you know I'm vegan so now it has to be like very special whatever whatever like I have to go find vegan donuts but which I heard are, are big here they're big here yeah. oh yeah Portland has a lot of vegan technology um, <laughs> so I feel control but I could eat as many donuts as you put in front of me I couldn't do it for time, but, like, if there was some kind of thing, like, if it was me and someone else just eating donuts until we couldn't eat them anymore, I think that I could... Win? Yeah. I couldn't do it, like, it couldn't be, like, eat this many donuts in 60 seconds. Like, that's gross. What kind do you like? I like raised donuts. I really... Raised? Yeah, like... With an R? Yeah, because... Not a G-L, like glazed? No. But <laughs> consider... I could Think about a glazed donut in your uh-huh. head, like a puffy, yeah, light glazed donut. Like but then think about a cake donut. The producer just like... Oh, I don't like... Yeah. 
She must not have liked that. Um, <laughs> um, but so think about a raised donut that's glazed, and then think about a cake donut that's like super dense. Yeah. And so a lot of people, a lot of things purporting to be vegan donuts are actually cake donuts, mm-hmm. which is inappropriate to me. Like I want a normal donut. Like a glaze. Yeah. Me too. I want it to be normal and light. I don't want it to be a, like a stone in my I stomach. I want Krispy Kremes. I want vegan Krispy Kreme donuts. That's what I want. Me Do you too. get them here? Some, there's a couple places that have, that have raised donuts that are good. So they but, just mean that it rises? Yeah. Like, like, like they use yeast. Like they're uh, yeasted donuts. But it, I have to make the distinction because otherwise... Is yeast vegan? Yes. Oh, but it's it's like a weird. Isn't it living? It's living, but so are plants. So then we're getting into weird territory. Oh, do we eat honey? I don't really eat honey. Really? I kind of don't care about honey. Why? You Why don't, don't I care it? about like it? Like you don't love it? I mean, I don't care about it. Like, I I've tried to care about bees, and I don't, <laughs> and I can't. I don't care about bees. So I, Why? I don't know. They're so important. <laughs> they're so, they're important, but like I read the. Th- I don't feel like. I mean, maybe someone's gonna call me and be like, "You're so wrong," and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But I just. Oh, I know someone. I don't go out of my way. I don't go out of my way to eat honey. But if honey ends up that it wasn't something I ate, I will no longer give myself a nervous breakdown about it. Like when I first went vegan, I had never. You know, you just, you start reading labels when you start become vegan because you're like, "What can I eat? I don't know. I've never read labels before." Yeah. So I would scour labels to be like, I don't know if I can eat this cereal or these cookies or whatever. Yeah. And then I would think I did a good job and I would get home and see that the word honey was in it and I would just fall <laughs> apart and be like, I can't eat anything. <laughs> and then I looked it up. I read about bees and I was like, I don't so... actually think that they're being abused in the same way that I think that cows are being abused. So I just oh. have to let it go a little bit and just not go out of my way to eat honey. But if it ends up in something, I'm not going to. Well, I'm not going to kill myself over it. Yeah, I mean, that's my at least like at least it's like a feminist slave system. Like it's the queen bee making them yeah. all bring her them that honey. <laughs> so bring it to me. Maybe that's yeah. That's just how it is. But I don't like bees. Fuck bees. I mean, I like them. I care about them. I don't want their hives to collapse. I want them to keep having good lives. Have you seen um I don't want them to get stomped to death or crushed to death or traumatized. But why? They don't care about us. They no, they do. Um do they? no. They sting us and then okay. they, they they're so mad at us that they will sting us to just and then die. Can you imagine trying to explain to a bee the <laughs> thing about Beyonce? Can you imagine literally like having like a queen bee in your hand <laughs> and like trying to like in any way like get across this like cultural phenomenon of Beyonce or Lil Kim both of which have gone by the queen bee I know you think you're the queen bee Buzz let me tell you something differently <laughs> like just playing Beyonce and then like trying to evaluate the queen bee to see if it understands um you're, you're like well her name begins with the letter b so we have an alphabet <laughs> You were on transparent because you were talking about not trans issues. Right. You were not saying why trans people shouldn't be able to use the bathroom. <laughs> you are. Just kidding. Right. You were talking about intersex issues. Yes. 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 I was. I you, was. You were talking to Maura about intersex issues. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh. Sorry. <laughs> A lot's going on over here. She don't care about bees, dogs, nobody. Um, that's your preferred pronoun, right? She? Yeah. Okay. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> As my aunt says, you cannot say so it. Sorry. Separate the God from the damn it. Do not say it in vain. Um, oh, so I was on Transparent, and our mutual friend now, Chill, um, gave me a role to play an intersex person. Which was very hard. Was since, that hard for you? Yeah, I've never had experience in that before. Did you have to go to like a lot of coaching? Method acting and coaching classes. Yeah, it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 you know, I struggled, but I, I came out the other end, I think. And I think I played a believable role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, something the audiences can hopefully relate to. Mm-hmm. And in that role, I basically was um, able to have an exchange and a dialogue with Mora, um, sort of about what intersex is. And then... Uh, went into my story, my actual true story. So it was really interesting because I was in this fake room, like the size of this room, a little bit bigger. And for a moment, I thought we were in a real 
LGBT clinic crisis hotline center. Like the sun was fake coming through the windows. Yeah. You might remember. I don't know. It just oh, hit yeah. me. It hit me. I'm like, that's not the sun. Like, whoa, <laughs> we're not in a real place. But everything kind of melted away because the director, you know, Jill's not in there. I don't know if Jill directed your episode, but she wasn't mm-hmm. in the room with me, just the camera people and everyone else was out and they're like watching and listening. But it's kind of like it was just felt really real. And that was a really surreal experience because I almost forgot my story. <laughs> like I couldn't all of a sudden when it was like action, I, I couldn't. I forgot what intersex it was. I forgot my story. I forgot how to tell it. But then after a few takes, it came through. And I think what was really memorable is that most media outlets uh when we when working with them want to cut out the sticky or the not the sticky but want to cut out the the difficult aspects of intersex so talking about the really intense surgical aspects the surgeries that happen to intersex people based on how we're born mm-hmm. i should probably say like what intersex yeah, is yeah what's intersex um, so intersex is when people like me one in 2000 births roughly People like us that are born um, a different sex than male or female were born with sex characteristics that kind of qualify us for neither sex category that are presently out there, like male and female. Mm-hmm. And we have either chromosomes or sex or reproductive organs or um, physical traits that are kind of different, quote unquote, for either sex category. Um, and almost 90% of us don't have 90% of intersex people don't have any health related issues that are directly related to their intersex variation. Mm -hmm. It's just purely a cosmetic thing where our bodies cosmetically look or make people uncomfortable around us, like our doctors. And they often recommend and do uh, reconstructive quote unquote, or cosmetic quote unquote surgeries um, to our bodies to reshape them into this perfect quote unquote male or female mold. And they do that when people are babies or kids. The the history has been mostly done in history or in history. Historically, mm-hmm. it has been done mostly to children. Um, the theory was that children wouldn't remember and thus um, would grow up with an intact gender identity mm-hmm. and less trauma. Um, Is that actually what happens? Interestingly enough, no. <laughs> a lot of the surgeries done in infancy, and they even know this, and I don't know why they do it still, um, need further surgery around puberty or adulthood because as an infant, if you do a vaginoplasty on an infant or or something else, like um, something else, like say a hypospadias repair, which is when the the urethra doesn't reach the tip of a penis, mm-hmm. um, those surgeries often need follow-ups and Sometimes they need like twenty follows. That's so, like major surgery. It is, That's and a huge it's all cosmetic. It's all cosmetic, and so there's that part where like, even if we didn't remember, there's the follow up surgeries and the follow up complications, and then there's the scar tissue, and then there's the numbness, then there's the sensitivity issues, then there's the shame and all that. But interestingly enough, I read a book by Dr. Bruce D. Perry um, called "The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog." you might like since you like dogs um (laughs) i saw your calendar (laughs) said mostly dogs and Mm -hmm. i thought that was so cute um and it was stories of children who have he's a psychologist and he's also a neurobiologist and it's like 10 stories of kids who've gone through extreme trauma as child as children and his research which he has no idea about intersex but his research just kind of proves for the past since the 80s that trauma done to infants and basically before the age of two and a half, I think, or three, all that trauma in that period is magnified. Like the trauma, the effects of that trauma become magnified than if you had that trauma when you were an older person. And then it comes out as things like later in life, like PTSD or what he calls complicated PTSD, which is just non-war PTSD, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... And ADD and ADHD and anxiety and all these issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so the prevailing way that doctors deal with intersex people is just messed up on so many levels. So anyways, Jill on Transparent 
gave me a platform just out of like the kindness of who she is. We met and she she just said, do this. And and she gave me so much room to talk about the surgeries and to go deep, deeper than into my story than any from BuzzFeed to MTV to ABC to Al Jazeera. Anybody of them gave me um, leeway and respected everything like about me. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of like the media, they don't want to like use your pronouns and they don't want to talk about the surgeries and they kind of just want like a neat package. And Jill wasn't about that. Jill really wanted me to keep going deeper. And I feel like Maura's interest was really genuine. And so it just felt like this. I was really grateful for the opportunity. And then I go home and I <laughs> I go to the apartment I'm staying in and I see your book and I read it. Mm-hmm. And I read that part about the sleeping goats or, or the yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And I was just like mystified because I had never met or heard any, like like I told you about the scratching. I never knew anyone else did that thing where you get tired and literally like drowsy. Like if you can't stay awake when someone wants to have like a conversation about emotions <laughs> and feelings, especially intimate partners, which they don't like that. It doesn't oh, yeah. do good in relationships. <laughs> it doesn't help. We should talk about that, which is, so there's a part in my book, Calling Dr. Laura, where... <laughs> It basically, yeah, I basically call it like fainting goat syndrome. Like there's these goats that exist called fainting goats where if they get stressed out or shocked, they will become paralyzed and just fall over. Like if they're stressed out. And so I always felt like that or imagine myself like that. If people wanted to process about something, especially if I had to process about polyamory in my early twenties, it was just too much. I just, it was like too much for me to deal with. And I was like, Ugh! and I would just basically like not off or yeah. want to not off yeah. and just be like struggling to stay awake. Yeah. I could never take naps until someone wants to have a serious conversation. Like just like I'm like trying to make some eye statements here. <laughs> like I just have to keep going. I, I I should say I do it less now. I think that I have as I've gotten older I've learned to be in less stressful situations. Yeah. So do you notice like red flags earlier on as my therapist would call them? Yes. You mean like in relationships? Yeah. Like just even, not even intimate. It doesn't have to be intimate, but both like yeah. work and also like yeah. intimate relationships. Yeah. But then when I was, when I was a younger person, like I would date people and I, I would get those red flags. Oh yeah. Like I would get so, I would get so stressed out about like things, people I was dating. I would get migraines on a regular basis or like yeah. that thing would happen where I'd fall asleep or because I just because you're just learning. Party. Oh yeah, you're just learning what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I'm so always sick with people. What? Like every time I went on a date or hung out with someone, I would have to like run home and lay in my bed and curl up and then just like have tons of gas every time. It's super hot. <laughs> yeah, but by myself because yeah. I like held it in the whole time because every time I got stressed out, I would get like gas. It was horrible. Once I, I, I thought I was allergic to gluten. I was just allergic to stress. It was horrible. Stress really, it's really important to be able to be like, oh, this thing stresses me out or that thing stresses me out. But no, yeah, red flags. Before I went to therapy, I just didn't even get what a red flag was. I just was like, I know. I thought, I thought it was was, like, that's mean. I thought a red flag. Just cut people off because they have problems. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought, I thought that red flags were an opportunity for me to to show how strong I could be Mm -hmm. and how good of a caretaker I could be. And like, what a great tolerance for dysfunction I had. I was like, I was like, you can try to scare me off, but I'm not going anywhere. Exactly. (laughs) You can mistreat me and I'll still be here with a migraine falling asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So then like I went to therapy. Then you learned the word codependency. Yes. Well, because I like basically wanted to like I just like didn't understand why these things were cutting so deep mm-hmm. or like anything. Yeah. And so then finally I got to like a low point where I was just like, fuck it, I'm gonna like fucking jump off a bridge. And I it's like and then I had that I was like, this isn't actually what you wanna do. Were you in Portland? Yeah. Tons of bridges. And I was yeah, like, I heard about that. I was like, why don't I go to therapy instead? <laughs> tons of bridges. Like, tons of bridges and you cross them every day. Yep. So I was exactly. Like, How about I go to therapy instead? And I went to therapy and my therapist was like Oh, you're caretaking a crazy person. Who does that remind you of? And it took like one second where I was like, my mother. (laughs) And I had like the therapeutic breakthrough of all time. And then I could like slowly learn to make better choices after then, after that point. Yeah. It's, it, was it like in your 30s that that's late, late 20s, early 30s that that started happening, you feel? Mm. The better choices thing? I think that I started going, I started going therapy when I was about 23. Mm-hmm. And I think that I really consciously 
I mean, I made better choices from that moment on, but I think I, I feel like I have a reasonable track record after probably the age of 27. That's, ex- but that's your, it took your, me like four years. Like my Saturn return? Saturn return. That's what that's, Saturn return yes. into good choices. Oh my God. But that's what shit hit the fan for me. It was 27. What happened? Well, I remember, no, I remember talking to my boss, right? She's, she's this intersex called Interact Advocates. Great resource for intersex people. Interactadvocates.org. She was my boss at the time. And she was like, Pigeon, what, what's your, how old are you turning this birthday? I was like 27. She's like, oh. And I'm not like that into astrology. So I was like, what's up? Nothing. I'm like, tell me. She's like, that's your Saturn return. I'm like, what does that mean? And she's like, nothing. I'm like, tell me. She's like, it's going to be your worst. Blah, blah, blah. She just went into it. Like, this is, she told me for her, this is like when everything, you know, but she's like, but it does end mm-hmm. and blah, blah. And literally like clockwork, it ended, I think three years later, like I'm 30 now. So I think it ended. It's ending right now. Oh my God. And literally, when I was 27 is when I was scratching my head to the point where I thought I was going to turn into that woman we both read about. We were talking yeah, about... Yeah, we should, we should tell them. Pigeon has kind of like a picking, scratching problem. Who, me? <laughs> Quality? It's called um, dermatillomania. So you, you get stressed out, and then all of a sudden you're like, look at these cuticles. And yes. you start itching your head. And then we both... And then as Pigeon was telling me this, I thought like... Do not mention this article. Dear Nicole, do not mention the article called The Itch <laughs> that was in the New Yorker that's about a woman it scratching New Yorker, scratching yes. through her to skull, her brain. Through her skull, through the green ooze that it was infected. She scratched through her skull and eventually was touching her own brain from scratching so while much. While unconscious. Like while in a hospital bed after being doped up on painkillers or whatever. So I was like, don't tell Pigeon about this story. Don't, don't. I was like, it will stress them out. But then you mentioned you had already read it. So then, yeah, I already envisioned myself becoming her, and it was the scariest moment in my life because I couldn't stop. After my Saturn return, I couldn't stop scratching my head, and it was just a mixture of stress being in grad school, um, my grandma passing away, my mother losing her mind, quite literally, um, was like talking to things and. Oh God like ghosts yeah. and demons <laughs> and then I found out it was cocaine and mm-hmm. <laughs> other things but like a mixture of also bipolar and co- and self-medicating with cocaine and then uh, whatever and then being in grad school then being in this horrible relationship where I did not see any of the red flags and like you I was like how can I help this person look at me like all my friends are telling me beware and I'm all like no like I'm gonna show everybody that I can take care of this poor child who has all these issues um and it gave me this selfish high like that I was first of all it felt like a high like I didn't need to eat I didn't need to sleep like we could we were just like all we needed in the whole world you know we were gonna run away to some country and be safe for her Mm. and that relationship at this point was like in the midst of like falling apart and all these lies were coming to the surface that I had discovered and then I was in grad school which is just a stressful experience and then when you're in grad school and you're deciding to make a documentary about your life and you're going through these emotional conversations you had with your parents like 10 years ago when you first found out you're intersex which is what I was doing because I had secretly recorded on my phone (laughs) all these conversations like with my family when I was like going through it with them um so I had to like dictate or transcribe those and then I was just I think I was just losing it I was I've never been on medication before all of a sudden I was on uh, anti what's it called depressants and Adderall and uh, Xanax and oh and I was working at a legal intersex nonprofit. and then I had another job too I was working at a after school program on teen dating violence and then the grad school, and then the thesis, and then the mom going out of her mind, and then my grandma dying, and then the girlfriend. So it was this, like, shitstorm of two years of grad school, and... So you were like, I'm keeping it together. I am scratching through my skull. Yes. But I, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I will just keep these ice packs <laughs> on my head under this large winter hat. <laughs> and I just hope one day this shit will end. And um, it literally, like I told you, it pretty much all stopped when school ended the relationship was over and I quit my job and started really focusing more on like working for myself again like being a freelancer again what does your life look like now like how do you make a living now as an intersex activist and artist and filmmaker 
I try my best to, um, I think I've acknowledged the fact that, like, I've worked in every, I think you could name a job and I've worked it since I was 10 or younger. Oh, me too. Right. Like, my first job was on an ice cream truck with my aunt, who I told you about, mm-hmm. who's really funny. Um, and me and my cousin would spend the summers with her selling ice cream. And then she would make us sell stuff with her at flea markets. Like, she would get all these 409 bottles somehow of cleaner. And we would try to hawk 409 to people at flea markets that nobody wanted. Um, then I've worked at car dealerships with my dad. And then I've worked, you know, pizza places. And then I've worked um, crazy jobs. I've worked at tanning salons. I've worked at Apple Store. I've worked at Abercrombie. I've worked every single job. you, Every industry just say it, I've worked there. And I realized after six months, I cannot function there. I, I'm like so happy at first to get, oh, I've worked at restaurants. I'm so happy working there. And then I'm like, I hate this. Like I hate my life. I hate going to this job. I hate everything about it. And so I think, and it's the same with relationships for a while. After six months, I just checked out of all of my relationships. And I was so into them at first. And my therapist was like, trying to help me figure that out. And he was like, I think that's, he said it was like part of being ADD um, and like something, something, something. But what I've realized is like, I'm happiest when I'm working for myself. And so I freelance, the longest story ever, that you, I hope you edit out. Um, and I, I basically use social media to kind of spread awareness about intersex and spread advocacy and or be an advocate or whatever Mm -hmm. and also to just network with people like you and whoever else and then i try to get um speaking engagements and presentations and film screenings at different places especially at medical schools i think those are like have the most impact Mm -hmm. on the future of intersex kids Mm -hmm. and and yeah I, i think i think that's just what i do and it works out you kind of cobble it together through lots of different means yeah yeah and i would rather do the stress of that of cobbling it all together with uncertainty um because i also do like freelance photography and um i do freelance writing for everyday feminism so i just put things together Mm -hmm. and i think that's something i learned from my dad because he always said like, I hate working for the man. I don't want to work for the man. And so he always just kind of did his own thing, like worked on cars and sold them and was a mechanic for himself, basically. And um, f- that sucked growing up because of the insta- instability. Yeah. Is that the word? Yeah. Unstability. Yeah. Unstableness of money. Like, did you, did you go to public high school or Catholic? I went to Catholic school only for a year and a half and then I went back to public school. Okay. I went to Catholic high school and then public before that, but... You have to pay tuition every time you take tests. And so every time we didn't pay our tuition, <laughs> you have to stand in line with all the other kids that didn't pay tuition. And then you have to like plead with the tuition office to let you take your test. And I always had to give some story about my dad. Like, oh, he says blah, blah, blah. And he says this, you know, it's going to be tomorrow or whatever. So that sucked in that regard. But I'm actually really happy that I have a father like that who didn't, who kind of taught me that in his own way like just kind of make your own path and do what you need to do but don't like you know just don't give your life away to some job that you're miserable you know what I'm saying I feel that my mom for all of her idiosyncrasies yes for all of her (laughs) idiosyncrasies for all of her special qualities that may or may not add up to a stable childhood right um she always had a million different jobs and she never I mean, our, like, I didn't, I didn't go, I don't know, like, she didn't, like, force me to go to college. She never, right, right. never didn't, like, didn't want me to go to college. It was never, like, you're going to get, you're going to have, you're going to go to college and have a career. It was never that. It was always, like, cool, bye. <laughs> and, but also, my mom never told me I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. Same so with you, my family. Yeah. So, like, I was, like, you know, when I was 13 before legal age, I was, like, I need, I need to get a job at Subway. Yeah. And my mom went, and, like, lied for me and yeah. said that I was old enough to work at Subway. And I just have had jobs ever since. And she's always had a million weird jobs. And so I never saw that as shameful to, like, not have a stable career. Mm-hmm. And so even though she was doing the same thing where she would, like, do, like, the 1980s kind of trick, like, the checks in the mail or, 
that or goes like, in. Yeah, yeah, or like sending the check but not signing it, or just like, oh, the checks are rubber. Or Have like, you seen that episode of Yes, Roseanne? okay, yes. that or was like, so good. Her credit card is getting declined in front of me at different stores, uh, or having to use a different credit card. Did you ever cards. see her crying and cutting them up? No. Do you have that image of your mother? I have the image of somebody from a department store being like, here, they want to talk to you. Like, the, a credit card getting declined. She's like, call the oh, company. The phone, call the, the company. I just sent in the payment. And then they would call the company and they're like, they want to talk to you. And then it was like, we had to like process this whole thing, like just to buy school clothes or something. Oh my so God. even though that existed, that financial kind of like, Ugh. Did you guys do layaway back then? Layaway existed. I don't know if we did layaway. Okay, I just wondering. I think it was we more always like, did layaway. let's pay for it with a check that may or may not <laughs> go through. Be a real check. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but then go- coming from that, just the idea of like doing it for yourself, but having no other choice. Like I have to make it work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. like you don't have someone to fall back on like no. a family or like freelance stuff. Money wise. That. Like that's my, like I've painted myself into a corner and I feel fine. I would rather have that stress. Me too. Uh, yeah, exactly the same. Like that stress is better to me than the stress of having to go somewhere nine to five. Yes. Like every day forever. And that's just me. Some people, I could see the nine to five thing being very secure. Like feeling very comforting to be like, whew. Then I get to come home and just watch TV or something. But I'm like working like every day, mm-hmm. probably at some, in some level. Mm-hmm. And my social media is not just to be like, here's a salad I ate. My social media is like, but wait, we have to, I have to bring it back. To, I have to bring it back. So you told us what intersex is. Yes. You told us what the problem, that surgery seems problematic. The surgeries that people, the cosmetic surgeries seem problematic. Mm-hmm. What is your message? This is the thing. Intersex is one thing. It's There's two, there's two, what is it? It's like, you know, everything's got two sides to every story. Yeah. Intersex is this, like on paper, it's this biological medical phenomenon that gets described in very different ways, depending on what century we're, or not century, like what decade we're in and what, who's saying it. Mm-hmm. So if it's a doctor from the fifties, they're saying, this is a medical abnormality that needs to be taken care of. And by this way, you know, we're going to cut it out. Mm -hmm. There was a doctor who's famous for saying it's easier to dig a hole than build a pole. And then all of the, and he's the quote unquote, the godfather of like intersex surgery. Can you imagine saying that to a parent? Uh, no, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy. You know what? Can I just break it down? That guy obviously could. About your toddler. It's easier to dig a hole than build a pole. You know what I mean? So we're going to knock him out right now and you'll see a hole pretty soon. (laughs) Hopefully got a good shovel. Um, So, yeah. So this dude is the godfather of who we entrusted our intersex kids care in. And then all his little minions who came after him. His name was the name that shall not be mentioned. And, um... Dr. So, Voldemort. Yeah, Dr. Voldemort. So that's so then there's that guy, right? And then there's there's like this change that happened in the early nineties where intersex people grew up who grew up under this type of these procedures and started, you know, speaking up and speaking back. And the medical establishment did not like this. And they started identifying as intersex and like like to reclaim the word back from the medical establishment. Which Prior to then, was calling them mostly like hermaphrodites or pseudo hermaphrodites, and then sometimes intersex. Like my records from 1986 say intersex. No, they say male pseudo hermaphrodite, and I don't think they say intersex. I don't even know. Yeah. So, anyways, but they use a lot of terms for us. But basically, they use hermaphrodite and intersex back then. Mm-hmm. And then the activists come around the 90s and they're like, we're intersex and we're proud. And then they're like, but stop touching us. And then in the 2006, in 2006, these doctors and intersex people got to, some some intersex people got together and decided to change it up and start calling us disorders of sex development. That's catchy. It's real catchy. It rolls off the tongue. You can say DSD mm-hmm. if you don't want to say disorder. Mm-hmm. But, um... Basically, it just kind of re-medicalized and pathologized our bodies for, again, no reason. (laughs) There's no medical reason most of the time. There's nothing medically wrong with our bodies. Um, Nothing life-altering. So, the message... So, anyway, so so then we have today, where a bunch of people are, again, fighting the DSD label, the disorder label, and saying, no, like, we're intersex and we're proud and... We're beautiful and everyone's on a spectrum. Every single person's body, every single gender, everything is on a spectrum, sexuality. And so is sex. And like, um, we just want to be left alone to live our life. And very recently in November, I think last November, 2015, 
the UN got together with some intersex activists, and the dude at the UN, some higher-up guy, said, like, he declared what happens to intersex people are clear violations of human rights, and suggested or demanded or made recommendations that states, member states of the UN stop doing these surgeries. So that was a really big moment. So the message, I think, ultimately, always is if you have a doctor in your life or a friend who's a doctor or you just happen to see a doctor, you know, you know, anybody in the medical field, have conversations with them, start asking them questions or or parents that are having kids or expecting children kind of just or yourself, if you're going to have a kid one day or you're about to have one, just think about why you would why these surgeries are suggested Do you really think your kid needs a surgery that can ultimately hamper their their sensitivity in their genitals and produce a lot of shame and problems later in life and maybe more medical problems than necessary? And also put us, a lot of these surgeries put us on a lifetime dependency on um, hormones and different medications like you saw me with the pills today. Mm -hmm. I have to take hormones every day because they took out um, my hormone producing uh, internal testes mm-hmm. when I was a baby. So just think about these things. And, and I think the best thing to do would be to talk to your kid as they grow up, find a community of support like AISDSD.org has a great community support group online on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And we also meet in person every year. And this year we're meeting in Denver in July. And parents and kids come and, and all these people come and it's great. So find that support group Talk to your kid, give them age-appropriate information as they grow, tell them they're loved all the time, and let them make decisions when they're older. And I don't even actually like these this language of let your kid make the decision because it suggests that a decision has to be made in a way. Because yeah. I don't think there has to be a decision. It's just like, I, th- I think it's just like teaching tolerance and like everyone's going to get bullied. And a lot of people ask me when I give talks at schools, like, wouldn't it be harder if you didn't get the surgery? Like, weren't the parents just trying to protect you and the doctors from getting picked on? And I say, who here has been bullied? And everybody raises their hands. And I'm like, did anyone here? Is anyone here intersex? And mostly people are like, no, I'm not. So I'm like, well, there you go. There's no, it's no surgery is not going to prevent bullying or any of that stuff. So the ultimate message is just to let kids choose, especially intersex kids, but all kids have autonomy about their bodies. And grow up to, if they want one day, to make those decisions on their own, but not to make them for them because the surgeries are irreversible. Oh, my God. Wait, you said that you discovered you were intersex at a certain point. Yeah, because a part of the other part of the protocol from Dr. Voldemort is to never tell the child the truth. And the other part is to never tell the parents the complete truth either. So none of these kids grow up with kind of dysmorphia or something? We grew up with something. I mean... It, like, it really depends. Right. Like if you don't, if you've had some, some people's intersex bodies look quote unquote normal for the side, the sex that they were assigned. So they don't have this. Usually they don't have dysmorphia is the word. Dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. They just kind of grow up like do do do, and then one day they're like, oh, I don't get a period. And this is just one variation. There's yeah. like twenty five variations, but this is the one I have. Yeah. AIS, it's called. And you're like, I don't have a period. What the heck? Or whatever. And then you go to the doctor, and they're like, oh you don't have a uterus and you don't have ovaries. Let me test your blood. Oh, you have XY chromosomes like a boy. You got tested? Your mo- your parents weren't like, oh, don't worry about it. Uh. I was tested when I was one, before I was one. So then they found out I had XY chromosomes. Yeah. Oh. But it wasn't like when you were a teenager, you were like, I don't have a period. I think I'm going to take myself to Planned Parenthood. No, they always told me since I was a kid that my mom always told me that I wouldn't get a period and... I wouldn't be able to have kids because I was born with cancer in my ovaries. And that's the other textbook play. Is It's literally textbook, what to do from Dr. Voldemort, is to tell the kid they had cancer in their ovaries and that they were saved. That's why I have a feel like that's why you have a scar here and that's why you can't have kids and blah, blah, blah. And so that's how they, they figured they would just 
cover up everything. Is so then did you identify as a cancer survivor for your whole life? My whole life. I told teachers. Everyone's like, interesting fact about yourself. Like when you go to a new grade, you know, every year. I'm a cancer survivor. <laughs> Doctor saved me when I was born from cancer. And I really thought like God had some role in that or some shit. Like I was just like... I'm a cancer survivor because there's the story of the Virgin Mary at my church, this icon crying when I was baptized and they put the tears in my baptism waters. And I always identified with her and I just always thought like, Oh, it's a miracle. You know, I'm alive. And Virgin Mary over here was like protecting me and all this stuff. And I find out, you know, and then I have a surgery when I'm 11, but they cover that up by saying it was a bladder surgery, that I had a urethra problem and they're going to fix my urethra, my bladder, because I was having a little bit of pee drip out after I peed. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're going to go in there and, you know, fix that up. And I woke up with a full vaginoplasty and another clitorectomy and I had um, tubes coming out of me. What are they called? The urethra catheter and all bummer. that stuff and stitches. And, and then I believed it, but I also knew something else was up because I was like... Why for a bladder surgery do I have all these external like stitches and um, all this stuff? Like I had a catheter in me for a week and a half and I had to go home with it. And and I just kind of like something's, something's off. But I was the type of person that like, like you said you would like, kind of hide in high school. Like, yeah, like don't look at me sort yeah. of type of thing. I was kind of like, please see me and please let me fit into every, but like I just wanted to fit in. And so if they were like, you're, they were like, you're normal. Everything's fine. You, they literally said, you will have normal sex with your husband when you're older. Um, because what they said is when I was going to get my anesthesia for the bladder, quote unquote, bladder surgery when I was 11, he said, oh, so we did the exam, the pre-exam, they did a little camera. Um, and we noticed your vagina was a little bit smaller than like other people. So do you mind? Like, we're just gonna make a little snip and make it just a little bit bigger so you can have normal sex when you're older with your husband and everything's gonna be great. Oh my God. At 11, I would have just died. died, right? Yeah. I was just like, merp. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and that was it. And so I go under and I wake up and they do all the surgery. And then um, I proceed to have sex when I was 15. Mm-hmm. or 16 with my first like long-term high husband. school boyfriend husband husband no my first husband was fifth grade i'm <laughs> oh, sorry actually my first husband was jordan knight under kids of the black Miami too <sighs> yes glad you don't like the other ones no. okay so then my second husband or third husband in high school um we, we tried to have sex and it just wasn't happening it just was like sticking um, too big of a hot dog and too small of a hole, basically. And the it, hole was too big for the hole. No, my hole was too small for the hot dog. Your hole was too small for the pole. The pole. My yeah. hole. Got it. Yeah. Yes. My <laughs> hole. The hole they dug was not deep enough or wide enough for that pole. <laughs> and so oh I was like, you know, and I want to fit in. So I'm like, what the fuck? Let's try again. <laughs> Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. And eventually, that motherfucking pole pops in. And that shit hurt because, you know, I just had surgery three years ago and they didn't explain to me that it was a vaginoplasty and that, you know, shit could rip and all this stuff. And so, boom, I'm bleeding and I'm like, oh, that's my cherry. <laughs> and it wasn't. I didn't have one because it was just me ripping yeah. open. Ah! I know. And so what I quickly learned is if we did that often enough, it didn't get tight again and it didn't hurt as much. But then what happened is I just felt numb. So it felt like nothing. And so part of fitting in was just like having sex as much as possible, talking about it at lunch as much as possible at my all-girls Catholic high school. How much sex did you have this weekend? Everyone would ask. Or <gasps> how, many, really? how many times did you fuck you know, your boyfriend? Oh, my God. And, we, and the girls would just like tally it up. And <laughs> so, you were playing the point game in high school. Yeah, we preceded Sister Spit by about... I don't know, 10 years or something. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so then I, I hit college. Oh, and I'm miserable. I'm depressed as fuck. I hate everything. I'm crying every day. My mother's like, talk to me. I'm like, no, I don't talk to nobody. <laughs> Get away from me. But like, you couldn't talk to your mom about sex. You couldn't be like, my vagina's too shallow, mom. Like, you would it wasn't never. It, right. It's too shallow. It's too tight. You would never say that to your mom. No, I wouldn't. A personally. wouldn't. I know some people who would, but I wouldn't. No, I would never. I, if Nothing I, sex-related. I would, I'm like, don't talk. I don't even have a vagina. Don't what? Talk about it. A vagina? Don't talk about it. What is that? Actually, no. It's smooth. <laughs> it's smooth down there. <laughs> and, and so, 
Yeah, so I'm in this, like, phase. But then I'm putting on the perfect face and on the outside, like, I'm playing traveling softball and I'm trying to go to college and I'm trying to get into college with softball and I'm, I'm doing good at school and this and that. But I'm also getting kicked out every time, <laughs> every few minutes, and I'm fighting all the time and I'm always... Whatever. So I get to college and my grades carry me through. I, I got in a lot of fights and trouble, and but I was good at sports and I was good at grades. So that kind of, like, got me to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in college... And my teacher puts up a slide. A psych- she was a trans teacher. And she puts up a psychology of women class slide. And we're in psychology of women class. And she puts up a slide that says androgen sensitivity syndrome, AIS, which is my condition. And I would find out. And it has bullet points. And I'm like, holy shit, that sounds like me. Like, doesn't have a period, can't have kids, blah, blah, XY chromosomes. I'm like, I do not have XY chromosomes, though. Like, I've been dating this guy for five years now. Oh, my God. We, you know, I'm ostensibly straight. I'm obsessed ostensibly a female on the outside and everything and the inside whatever and my doctors are always like you're normal everything's cool um but you're I, like i'm not i'm not, I'm not this because i'm not that person were you like because i'm a woman who is a cancer survivor well i don't or were you I like or were this was or, it starting to be like wait maybe be i like, didn't have infant cancer yeah i don't think i hit me then but i was like wait a minute, I didn't think, I don't know, I remember I just called home, and I was like, mom, what do I have, and she's like, because I was 18, and she's like, well, I just got the medical papers from your children's hospital, because they want you to see a gynecologist, so let me open them up and see what you have, and she started saying androgen sensitivity, and I was like, what the fuck, and I threw my phone at the wall, I broke it, and I was done, I was just like, cried for like six years and then well like six months or six weeks or six days or wh- however six minutes, long whatever whatever minutes, whatever. you know whatever seconds and so i meet an intersex activist in that class she came and spoke to us and she told me go get your medical records <sighs> coincidentally my medical my co- my high school my children's hospital was right across the street from my college great that's how i saw my college because i went to the damn hospital so much as a kid i was like i'm gonna go there i guess yeah and so I get my records, and the first one says 46XY male pseudo-hermaphrodite. And I was like, what the fuck is a pseudo-hermaphrodite? I don't want to be a hermaphrodite, but what the fuck's a pseudo-hermaphrodite? <laughs> You're a poser. Why, I'm a poser. Why does it say male? What the fuck? I do not have XY. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And then I call that intersex activist person who was on the Speakers Bureau at the time. Mm-hmm. And they lived in my city, Chicago, and she was like, I'll stay on the phone with you while you read them. And then I read that I had a clitorectomy when I was four. Well, first I read I had a gonadectomy when I was one, where they removed my test, my internal testes, which they called gonads. Then when I was four, they did a clitorectomy, which they called a clitoroplasty and a clitorectomy. That's what they call it. Mm-hmm. Then when I was 11, I read about the bladder, quote-unquote, surgery, and um, saw that they did, like, a vaginoplasty and further corrective surgery on the clitoris, it said. Mm-hmm. And then I just put, you know, I just... Everything, like, it was like a, it was one of those moments where everything, it was like a missing puzzle piece and it came in. So, in, it's very different, but you and I both had this kind of situation. What was yours again? Well, like, being at a certain age and realizing that my family oh, had been yeah, lying to yeah, me yeah. my entire life. Entire life. And yeah. Then, and then my mom had inserted cancer into my family story. Just she did? For, well, she was like, your dad died of cancer. Oh, yeah. So then I would, like, every time I went to the doctor. You're scared of for my, cancer. For my stomach problems, I'd be like, my dad died of colon cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm having colonic problems, uh-huh. and colon, colon cancer runs in my family. Yep. Just everywhere. Just, like, confidently lying to everyone around me, thinking uh-huh. I was being like, yeah, this is it, this is it. Were you scared? I was scared I was going to get cancer again. Like, I was just really like, oh, I'm going to get cancer. I was born cancer, of course. I'm going to die of cancer. Were you uh, scared of cancer? I, I was like, yeah, cancer runs in my family. Me too. Yeah. So, for sure. And then also I was like, oh, I have all these colon problems. Yeah. This must be why. Yeah. And it was probably stress. Not because I'm emotionally traumatized. From being emotionally traumatized, I lied to. Yeah. <laughs> Not from lactose and being emotionally traumatized. Exactly. I thought it was milk. I thought it was gluten. And then I go to an allergist. He's like, you have no allergies. I'm like, great. It's stress. It's just trauma. I will say that my stomach problems went away 100%. Not 100%. I always have stomach problems for my whole life, probably. Yeah. But the majority of them, when they went away, it was around the time I went vegan. Or when I got a lot of relief. It was when I became vegan. And my mom, coincidentally, at the same time, had gone to a miracle priest. Took me to a miracle priest. So she claimed it was because she took me to a miracle priest. <laughs> I claimed it was because I went vegan. My therapist claimed it was because I got a car, so I got some autonomy. <laughs> so it was like all these things at the same time helped me have fewer struggles. Oh. Uh, you know. 
Yeah. Anyway. So then were your parents like... We were freaked out. We didn't know what to do. This doctor told us this was the right thing to do. Yeah. Actually, if you listen to, or watch my film or listen to it, watch it. Yeah. Um, my dad, like I was just on the plane to coming here and I was, what's it called? When you put subtitles, I'm subtitling it right now. So I remember he was just saying like, you know, I could quote the film because I've heard it. So he's like, he's like, we're standing there with three different doctors at what we think is the best hospital for children. And they're sitting there all telling us and agreeing on the same thing. And I'm thinking, okay. We're going to do what's best for my daughter, you know, my kid. And and he's like, and at the end of the film, he says, you know, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Man, he's like, man, if I could go back and change it, I would. And my mom, too, has the same. My mom in the beginning of the film says, if God came down and God said, you could have one thing, you could change one thing. I would just it would be to start all over again with you. And it's not just, like, the surgery part. She means more, like, she has a lot of, like, guilt about the intersex stuff, but also, like, what she, quote-unquote, put us through with, like, living with my dad and Mm. life and stuff. And then moving with my grandparents and then that shit because her dad was an alcoholic, my grandpa. Mm. and Whatever. She thinks she just had guilt about everything that, I I think, ate away at her. Mm. But anyways, they both have that, like... And my mom, too, because she's also in the film, says... She's, like... Because everyone in my city, Chicago, thinks Children's Memorial is the best hospital. Mm-hmm. And they think there's privilege to live in Chicago because, or privilege to have that hospital in their city. And they see people from other cities coming there, like smaller cities. So you think, oh, we're going to the best place for kids. We're so lucky. Why would these kids, why would these doctors lie to us? And, and they just thought they were doing the best they could. You know, my kid, my parents are like, they're not gender study scholars, so yeah, they're not, and they weren't even. They were kept partially in the dark, but they regret it a lot. They really do. Did you just start crying for a hundred years when your parents were like, "I'm so sorry"? Um, I don't know, because that was like on the phone. It was like a phone interview for the film with my dad, mm-hmm. and he didn't say, "I'm." Did he say, "I'm sorry"? I think he said, "I'm sorry." I don't know. Mm. I, I cried a lot throughout that film. Like, I remember when I started it, I stopped for six months because I started to shake when I was starting it, and I just was crying, and I couldn't deal with it. And then I started picking it up, and then I got numb. I always go from, like, too much emotions to, like, okay, I'm numb, and I'm just going to show this film everywhere, and it's going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, da-da-da, my film's like, that. Like, like, it was horribly traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> both physically and emotionally. And now Q&A. <laughs> but I've learned to, like, leave sometimes when I show the film. As a way to like not have to hear it and watch it, but yeah, but yeah, I cried. I cry. I used to cry a lot, and I don't know if it's the antidepressants or whatever, but I don't <laughs> cry as much anymore. <laughs> good, good. I still cry, but it's like about different stuff usually. I don't cry. I just look at Instagram. Now. Yeah, I just look at Instagram. So no, on internet. How can people find your film? Um, it is linked. I th- believe yeah, it's linked on my website. Pigeon is my dot n a m e. Pigeon is my name. Pigeon is my dot name. P-I-D-G-E-O-N. Yeah. It's like the name. bird pigeon, but with a D before the G is my name. But there's a dot before the name. I picked the worst website. It's like so hard to explain to people, especially my email. It's like inquiries at pigeon is my dot name. And they're like, where's the dot com? I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was clever. <laughs> it's just not happening. People are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Some websites don't accept my email. They're like, no, it needs a dot com or something. I'm just yeah. like... Why did I pick this? Email? But so people can go to pigeon is my dot name. Yeah, it's there. There's a link. It's like a projects or something, and then you'll see my film called The Sun I Never Had. But it's not up there. There's just screenshots and like a synopsis. So do they have to have you? They have to email me. There's a link. I'm like, oh, click this link. It's a Vimeo, but you have to ask me for the password. Great. And then what I usually do is I show it because I f- it needs context, and I want to be there for the to answer questions. Um, cause the film is not just like educational. It's not like one in 2000 people are born intersex. It's just heavily about my experience and my family's experience and my medical records. So anyways, I like to be there because people always have a lot of emotions after and they have questions. So people can catch you. Oh yeah. Catch you on tour. They can catch my you mini tour. in their cities coming and giving a talk. Yeah. And they can find that at pigeon is my dot name. Yeah. Theoretically, I think you should just follow me on Facebook or Twitter because I'm really bad at updating my website. 
Mm. Like there's a thing that says, see where I'm speaking next. And it's from like last year. <laughs> I have never changed it. But my Twitter and my Facebook and Instagram, that's all updated. And, and they can contact you too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Email me and all that. And I, I'll be in your city probably soon, hopefully. Or you can have me come. or Your college. Could your come college. Or, or your hospital, maybe. Hospitals are good. Um, local like community queer centers or bookshops or... You know, just queer spaces. Spaces are then, great to be at, too. Wait, what were you talking about? World Intersex Day? In October, late October, is Intersex Awareness Day. And last year, we did a Twitter storm using the hashtag Intersex Stories. And 5,000 tweets from all over the world came in. And people shared their stories. Um, this year, I'm going to organize um, an in-person protest at children's hospitals um, all over the world. So if you are intersex... Um, person, or if you are interested in being an ally or supporting our movement, um, follow me somewhere and then uh, stay tuned or, or, or join my mailing list or something and then stay in touch with me on ways that you could participate in your city to do something that day, October 27th. It's hopefully going to be an international um, day of action. Nothing, nothing too intense, but just a way to raise awareness at children's hospitals on that day to put pressures to put pressure on the doctors and the surgeons to stop doing the this type of, um, I guess like, what's it? It's like not. That's just horrible. To stop doing these horrible things to intersex stop people. Stop doing. Maybe reconsider. Reconsider your ways. Reconsider giving a child a vaginoplasty if it's unnecessary. Yeah, and if they didn't ask for it, and like my friend Saifa says, you know, intersex people, trans people have to fight for this. Okay, he says, intersex people have to, are fighting for surgeries that they don't want. They're fighting against surgeries that they don't want. And trans people have to fight for the same surgeries that they do want. So it's like, Could you why trade? is that happening? <laughs> so, Could you trade? Yeah, can we trade? Exactly, let's do a trade. That's like intersex a- Awareness Day, let's do a trade. Let's make a trade. Let's, let's make a swap. deal. Let's swap. Yeah. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. Clearwire, I hate you. Yeah, well, yeah, I did actually... Is that uh, their name? Clearwire? Uh, Century Lake. Century Oh my god. <laughs> Well, I actually this is this won't be on for probably a few weeks or something, but because because she has no internet, right yeah. Now, so. But I basically, I think I ruined. I think I lost all my Twitter followers. <laughs> I alienated a lot of people. I got pranked and maybe scammed <laughs> because CenturyLink, who provides my Wi-Fi, there's a long debacle. I've given them many many dollars, and then they were like, okay. After a year of you complaining, we're going to send out a technician. Be home tomorrow between noon and four. And I was like, okay. It took a year for them to send a technician. Yeah. They talked us into buying new modems before then, before they ever checked the line. Anyway. For, so, you had to pay for that? Yeah. So then we kept stalling because we were like, why should we? Anyway. But so they said, they're like, we're going to send us out between noon and four. And then I ended up between the times of noon and 10 p.m. I called them five times. I got escalated twice. The technician was not coming. They kept telling me he was coming. I kept tweeting about it because I was descending further into madness by myself. At some point, I was open mouth crying. I saw a survey once. There was a survey. <laughs> I put out a survey <laughs> on Twitter. Would you rather I work on my graphic novel or should I stay on the phone Century Link? <laughs> One person voted for Century Link, which is hilarious. <laughs> and fuck them. Um, but so then finally, I was on the phone with a supervisor at Century Link. And someone broke in on the other line. And I was like, oh, hold on. And they were like, oh, hi, this is someone from CenturyLink. We saw your tweets. And I was like, oh. And so I hung up on the supervisor and I went on the phone with this guy because I thought he could help me more. And you were on the phone forever with the, the first one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was 40 minutes deep into that other call and I <laughs> bailed on him to talk to this other guy. And he was like, oh, this is Dwight from CenturyLink. Um, we saw your tweets. He's like, okay, I'm looking at your account. And I rattled off my whole story. I was like almost crying. Maybe I cried a lot. I was like, and I've been waiting for nine hours. <laughs> and he, I was like, I'm on house arrest. I need to leave my house. I was like, I lost work for over this. And he was like, let me look. Oh, it looks like your technician left. He was headed to your house. Uh, it looks like, oh, he looks like a new technician's on his way. Wait, let me see. Your technician was trying so hard to get there on time. <laughs> 
that he got in an accident. Oh my god, it says he hit a tree getting to your house because he was trying so hard to get there fast. Oh my god, oh my god. He died on the way to the hospital. Oh, oh my oh my god, Frank. And I was like, what? No. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, no. Like, why are you I was like, this is a prank. I was like, that's not real. And he was like, no man, this is real. He died on the way to the hospital. And I was like, no. I was like, there's no way that it's in the notes of my account what he died of on his way. Like, there's no way. Like, you guys can't even tell that I called yesterday. Like, you cannot tell, like, the name of my technician and then how he passed away. And he's like, ma'am, ma'am, I just, I have to, ma'am, let me just, I was like, I don't care. You know what? I just need a technician. He's like, I can't, ma'am, I got, I have to go. I have to transfer you to your supervisor. So then... They pretend to put me on hold, and then it's like I'm listening into this conversation, and the whole time I'm like, I'm still here, and they pretend like they can't hear me, and they're like, hey, this is, this is Brock, the manager, and he's like, Brock, uh, hey, uh, oh my god, I just got this this email about Frank, and he's like, oh yeah, he's like, hey, I'm going to take up a collection in the office, he's like, i got to call his wife, i got to call my wife, I, the customer doesn't believe me, he's like, oh my god, a customer, customer 3553, yeah, she doesn't believe me, okay, what's the customer's name, Nicole. So then, quote-unquote, the manager gets on the line with me, Brock, or Brick, and he's like, ma'am, and I was like, he was like, uh, ma'am, I just realized that your technician passed away, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I've been waiting nine hours, I just want another technician. Didn't they say you were insensitive? Yeah, so then he said, ma'am, a man just died. This is, this is very insensitive of you, ma'am. And I was like... I don't, I not hung up on him because I just was like, this is a prank. He's like, this is not a prank. This man died. And I was like, I don't care. I don't need to know that. I just want service. And anyway, but it was, so then I looked and it was like a weird prank phone number. Like it was like an unidentified Skype number and maybe they fished my, inf- I don't know what they did, but basically my Twitter rant lost me all my followers, got me pranked. Maybe they put a virus on my phone because I answered the phone. <laughs> CenturyLink never showed up. I left the house finally at 10 o'clock p.m. I had been there all day long. I hadn't even, like, put on eyebrows or anything. Because I was, like, waiting for them to show up any minute. And that's my story. 